Drugs and money equals power and control. Drugs and money, power and control. That's all it's about. Then you hear these people talking about these interlacing webs of, you know, drug lords and governmental conspiracy and da 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 which is all very fascinating, but also very sad and petty. It's just about power and control. Like, if you ever approached me and was like, hey, Jonathan, do you want to sell drugs? You can make a lot of money. I'd be like, uh, no, I might lose my soul in the process. I mean, I've fucked up enough in life that I don't, I know the answer is not in shallow things like drugs and the selling of. No, thank you. But yet you got like a nation, two nations, warring. Secretly funded wars paid with drug revenue. Complicit governments, corruption. It's all very fascinating interweaving, but also very just basic and petty and deflating. People just motivated by pure evil. You know, you can. It's 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 a it's a it's a big web of connectivity and what one action does to lead to the other and what the ramifications are and da 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 and governmental agencies getting involved and da da da. But it's all just about power and control. If people just focused on themselves, doing the good thing, the right thing, then. All that pain would be alleviated. But no, the human heart is so evil and thirsty, bloodthirsty, and turned away and egomaniacal. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. It's your old chuckle buddy. So. Jonathan James Ramchurak, reporting live for duty on this magnificent march. 13th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Buenos dias, motherfuckers. How the hell are you? If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. This is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, bellyache, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self, y'all the dear listener, y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. Yes. You may be wondering, what the bumbaclut fuck is that on my head? You know, these puppies? Um, well, they're not for shits and giggles. Um, these are what are known as the Dr. Meter earmuffs. Noise-canceling earmuffs. Take a look at those muffs, folks. Look at them muffs, you know. Pardon my muffled mannerisms. I might be like, you know, slurring my words. Generally speaking, um, sometimes podcasters wear earphones that are connected to their microphone so they can hear their voice, so they can hear the mix of, let's say it's a podcasting situation where there are other podcasters or maybe some sort of live feed people calling in. Sometimes a podcaster might wear ear headphones. I don't use them, generally speaking, 
from my background as an actor, stand-up comedian, uh, I got that stage background. So I'm used to being able to pitch my voice appropriately. And you can hear, you can hear everything you need to hear. Now, when in Rome, like let's say if I was on a podcast, I generally would. If somebody offered me, oh, hey, Jonathan, you want to wear headphones? Everybody else is wearing headphones on the podcast. I would, like when in Rome. But generally speaking, I don't wear headphones, right? But anyways, these aren't headphones. These are earmuffs. And what are known as the Dr. Meter earmuffs. Take a look at that muff, folks. Look at them muffs. Yeah. Noise-canceling earmuffs. Available on Amazon. $16.99, folks. Smoke them if you got them. Noise-canceling earmuffs. Comes in a nice little box. You know, take a look at that box. A nice box for your muff, folks. Take a look at that muff box. You know, look at that muff box. You know, comes in this nice green, neon green, lime green color. You know, lime green muff for your box. $16.99 on Amazon, folks. Smoke them if you got them. Perfect for, like, uh, noise cancellation. You know, background noise. Um... Yeah, if you want a little quiet time when you're doing your writing or some people wear them to concerts to cancel out the heavy noise. Now, I will say they work great for domestic purposes, pretty good for domestic purposes. I do notice that for industrial, let's say if you're going to be working in a workshop, you know, let's say you're jackhammering up some concrete or, you know, trying to you know, silence the deadly screams of some victim you're chopping up as some sort of like, you know, militia, some sort of criminal enterprise and you're chopping up bodies. These might not be so great for canceling out the screams of the innocent, but like generally speaking for like domestic purposes, pretty good. So I would highly recommend them. $16.99 on Amazon, folks. Smoke them if you got them. Link in the description. And this is a way for y'all to support J.R. the P. Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. You know? Um, if you make a purchase, any purchase through my Amazon link available in this video's description, any per- any purchase, whether it be a muff, a green neon muff, comes in a nice box, a nice muff box, you, you, you purchase a muff through one of my links on Amazon, or any product, any product that you normally purchase, your daily toiletries, whatever, you know, any purchase through one of my links, you earn JR the P a referral fee. See what I'm saying? I get a little referral fee, a little kickback for driving traffic. Driving traffic. Yeah. So yeah, if you'd like to support the podcast that way, please do. And as always, there's always the free option. Um, Thumbs up, like, subscribe, share, you know. The podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, you know, chortles, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know, it truly is. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I'm not just wearing these earmuffs for shits and giggles or for a fashion statement, folks. I will get to that later in the program. All right? But you know, for now, let's get started. Quick sip of water. Water break balls. Don't mind me balls. Go H2O, you know, lube up the old vocal chops. And if you are new to the show, Jonathan Ramchand Podcast, GRP. If you are new to the show, I am an actor extraordinaire. Performer to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it, you know? <laughs> One thing that springs to mind, you guys ever seen, uh, <laughs> Uh, what was that? There's something about Mary? <laughs> Frankie Beans. <laughs> hey, Warren, what's that? I think I found your baseball. <laughs> it's got that retard strength. <laughs> Frankie Beans. <clears throat> I know, politically incorrect in this day and age, in this politically hot climate. In this emotionally charged era. Just kind of came to mind. Classic comedic film. <clears throat> There's something about Mary. Starring uh, Ben Stiller. Matt Dillon. Uh, Cameron Diaz. Jeffrey Tambor. Plays a little bit part in there. <clears throat> Directed by what? The Farley Brothers, I believe. Yeah. Great film. <laughs> Very funny. Just sprung to mind as I am wearing earmuffs. But anyway, <clears throat> Frankie Beans, actor extraordinaire. Um, God, it's hot. Got a toque on, earmuffs, lights in my face, the window closed. You know, it's a boiler, folks. You know, also, um, on the heels of a workout, very important as a thespian, you know, keep the old instrument in tune. The old body, working out. Skipped some rope this morning. I'm waiting for the gyms to get back up and running. You know, they're pretty close to reopening. Workout gyms, facilities, you know, post-pandemic. I really want to um, really see how far I can take my working out, my health. I'm pretty good, you know. I'm like, all right, I'm in good shape, decent shape. I do push-ups, I do sit-ups, I jog, skip rope. But I'm like capable of more. I know I am. And I'd be very interested to see where I can take it. And that's very much relatable across industry. A healthy physique, it really sets the standard. It's like a subliminal message. This person's about their business. They take care of their body. And in taking care of your body, that's also very encompassing and important in regards to your mental health, you know? Healthy body, healthy mind, so to speak. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's something that's been on my plate as of late, you know, so... Looking forward to being able to really, I don't know, I'm going to have to change something over, flip a switch or something in my head. Because I am good at, and I'm sure you all can relate to this, 
I eat fairly healthy. I don't go overboard. Um, you know, every now and then I sneak a donut, sneak a box of cookies, gummy bears, you know, bag of chips. You know, I'm only human, folks. You know, I get kind of slovenly from time to time. But generally, I'm pretty disciplined. So it's like, why not really put my foot down and focus? Why not just to get that physique and send that subliminal message? I'm a man about my business. That's relatable to anybody in any industry. Really sets a good tone, you know? And um, also, some very tantalizing, tantalating information. I have started my own production company, Noi Productions, N-O-I, Noi Productions. I began that at the end of uh, 2020. I am currently in work um, crafting some content, you know, much to come. Yeah, crafting some content. And furthermore, I have begun a new day job. Yes, Um, I'm happy to begin this venture. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to treat that day gig as really my own business. That's some great advice that I've recently gotten. You know, takes money to make money, you know. Um, It don't just grow on trees. I mean, there's this um, really ill-informed, naive concept of the starving artist, the struggling artist. I did that for years, folks. You know, drunk high every day, um, chain-smoking cigarettes, bouncing from men's shelters, reckless with my money, reckless with my behavior, reckless with my time management. It's a bunch of hogwash. It's just egotistical babble, you know? So, these earmuffs are pretty good. Stifled out a little bit of that fire truck. But where that's relatable, um, this day gig, it's like treating this day gig like my own business, you know? I make my money. I am dutiful at this new day gig. You know, it's like a warehousing type job. I do that. And I, in turn, take that money and I put it into my production company, Noi Productions. See what I'm saying? I'm taking the benefits that I earn in my daily job, my day job, and I'm using that to grow my own dream, my own goals, Noi Productions. And that's how it is. You know, um, it's very naive to think that, you know, oh yeah, just sleep on a couch, get drunk high all day, and hopefully, whoopsie doodle, success will just plop in your lap. It doesn't quite work like that. This is a business. This is an industry. You know, it takes a lot of time talent, money, um, many hands to make a film production. Then just fall out of the sky. If there were acting roles, if there were writing jobs, just falling out of the sky for any old swinging dick to just walk up and pluck, 
then I would obviously do that. But that's not how the business works. You know, jobs are few and far between, hard to come by. It's very competitive. You have to cultivate relationships. You have to cultivate your own opportunities and keep a positive attitude and work towards things. So laying around like a drunken slob all day, high uh, out of your mind, hoping that someone's going to walk up and give you a handout. I mean, I'm sure there are stories like that in Hollywood, and that's the romanticism about it. People love that romantic notion because it in turn makes them feel that they might get lucky someday. That's the appeal of like all those shows like The Voice. You know, you know those shows, those like American Idol type shows, they're very entertaining. And, you know, there are very talented people on there. But I think personally, what I think what the allure is, is people see that as like oh, a Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, a winning ticket. You know, if I get on that show and I sing, then I got my ticket written. I'm going to make it in Hollywood. I'm going to be a famous singer. And, you know, some people do. I mean, a select few. I mean, those shows have been going on for years. There's only been a handful that actually kind of transcended that venue, transcended that show to an actual career. There's like Kelly Clarkson. And did Carrie Underwood come from that show? The country singer, Carrie Underwood, didn't she come from American Idol or something like that? So yeah, there's like Carrie, I don't even know. So like as far as I know, there's only Kelly Clarkson. And they've been making those types of shows, those reality singing shows for like 20 years. Who's getting a career out of it, right? It's a bit of a pipe dream. But why people watch it is because, hey, you know, that just goes to show you that I too can make it in life somehow by a lucky accident. All I need is a lucky opportunity. I mean, hey, it could happen. And a lot of success in a career does come down to luck. But generally speaking, you got to bust your ass. Like, are you stupid? What, you're just going to waltz onto some fucking primetime television show? You know, compete against thousands of other talented singers to win a lucky contract in Hollywood where they're just going to feed you money and you're going to have to do like no work for it? Does that sound like a logical business solution? Does that sound like a logical plan? Make it big by striking out lucky? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, that's why I'm very grateful for this day gig. You know, I'm going to treat it like my own business I'm going to take my earnings and I'm going to put it into my own business, Noi Productions. And generally speaking, that's relatable to anything you do. Yeah, have a good attitude. Have a good attitude, be open to networking and meeting people, but know that most of the traction that you're going to make in your career is more than likely going to come directly proportional to what you put into it. You only get what you give. I mean, yeah, I might luck out and meet somebody that can help my career. But generally speaking, I got to bust my ass in order to be able 
to contribute to such a situation. That's how business works in general. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. Yes. Quick sip of water. Yeah. I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yep. I've been strolling them boards now for like, I don't know, 12, 13 years. You know? Over a decade of stand-up comedy and uh, still growing in it. You know, faking a smile. And um, these past few episodes of JR the P, um, I've just been speaking on concepts that are very important to a stand-up comedian. Stand-up comedian. I spoke about the importance of belief in a comedy career on the previous episode, episode 167. I spoke about belief for the stand-up comedian. And for this episode, I would like to speak about another key concept. Fun. Gotta have fun, folks. Whatever the fuck it is that you do, you know? You know, you rob banks. I mean, must be fun blazing down a side street, the fuzz after you, the hot streak of lead whizzing by you, the scream, scream of sirens, the terrified looks on the pedestrians as you careen past them at ungodly speeds in a desperate escape from the law. Gotta have a little bit of fun as a bank robber, you know? Uh, you know, you're a cook, you know, you're working the fry, oh, later, you're working the fry machine at some fucking jack-in-the-box or Wendy's or whatever the fuck. They don't even have jack-in-boxes in Canada, jack-offs in the boxes. They don't, but, you know, you know, you're working the fry machine at McDonald's, you know, you have to have a little fun somehow, you know, piss in it, why not, you know? Okay, that's a cheap little dig, you know, but you know what I'm saying? You got to have fun. And that's very much relatable to the stand-up comedian. Because um, I was thinking about this the other day. I've kind of gone 180. I've done a complete 180 in my approach to fun in comedy. I used to live to make people laugh. You know, I was taking names, I was taking numbers. You know, like, anybody in my life, I had a tally. How many times I made that person laugh? Can I make that person laugh? What does this person think is funny? You know, I was a, um, I was a, you know, comic through and through. A jokester through and through, so to speak. A cut-up, a clown through and through. I, I lived to make people laugh, right? I'd do anything. I remember one time, um, you know, somebody, I don't know if somebody dared me to, but 
I was in biology class and I had this really sweet biology teacher. She was like this middle-aged old woman. I think she was just fresh on the dating market. You know, she would get all guzzied up, lipstick splashed all over her lips and, you know, she'd wear these tight dresses, but she was kind of like over the hill. But like, I think she was like a divorcee. So she was like back on the market trying to live her life the best she could. But she was like trapped in this like pathetic biology teacher position. And yeah, she was a bit of an oddity, but it's just a real sweet biology teacher. And I used just to t- torment her, you know, I'd mock her, make fun of her, interrupt her class, all sorts of nonsense, you know. Nothing in particular, nothing particularly smart or witty. All I know is that I was a disturbance and it made people laugh. One time they're like, John, Jonathan, why don't you fuck around this class, you know, do something funny, do something wacky. I forget, somebody dared me to do this or something, but I pretended there was a bee, right? So everybody's sitting there, they're doing their homework or they're doing their classwork, you know. It's like a fucking mortuary, dead silent. Everybody's doing their classwork. All of a sudden, I'm like, Ah! There's a bee! There's a bee! Oh my god, there's a bee! And I get up and I flip my desk over and I'm throwing papers everywhere. Ah! There's a bee! Ah! Ah! You know, she's getting real stupid about it, right? Squawking up a blue streak. Poor biology teacher. My poor biology teacher. She's like, Ah! She's screaming too, right? Anything for a goof, anything for a laugh. I mean, it sounds stupid and immature in retrospect, and, you know, I'm not exactly proud of it. But, you know, it was just, it was just for the heart of a goof. Just, just, just for a goof, you know what I mean? I did it. And I used to live by that. Today, I'm like a 180. Like, I don't care at all, unfortunately, about having fun with my humor. Like, I'm a fucking goofball. Like, a born goofball. That's what, like, comedians are. We're born goof goofers. Goofers and gophers and jokesters. Like, we're knuckleheads. Like, you know, like, there's something wrong with us in a certain sense, right? Like... Anything authoritarian, anything of, you know, pompacity and privilege and, you know, oh, the importance of me. Anything like that we mock, right? It's retarded to us. So, like, that's my outlook on life, you know? It's two sides of the same coin. Some people are going through life whining and crying about the injustice and the pain of existence, which I definitely feel, but it's the other side of the coin, which is like, it's all a fucking joke. You know? (laughs) It's two sides of the same coin. The tragic irony of life, you know? If I didn't laugh, I'd cry, right? So, that being said, the 180 is like, I no longer find fun or joy in making people laugh outside of comedy. It's like I take the pressure and the responsibility and, uh, you know, live by the joke, die by the joke. Like, yo, like, 
I'm not trying to be funny and goofy for free. You know, I'm playing for all the motherfucking marbles, you know? it's This one's for all the marbles, motherfuckers. Like, I'm trying to be a professional comedian. So, you know, goofing off and making my neighbors or my next-door neighbor or my relatives laugh, what do I give a fuck? Does that pay? What do I care? I don't. I've become cynical in that manner. You see what I'm saying? I used to have the fun. I used to have the joy of being like a pure goof. Like just a... Comp- I once wore my mother... Like I went... I remember, you know, like 21 Forever, the, the woman's clothing store? One time in high school, we were walking by there. And I and they said, wouldn't it be funny if I just went on there and tried on a dress? They're like, yeah, it would be pretty funny. So we went into this woman's clothing store and I was like, hi girls, how's it going? I'm a 14-year-old boy and, you know, I was like 14 years old at the time. You know, I'm just like a 14-year-old boy wondering what it would be like to wear a woman's dress. Do you guys have anything you can recommend? And the girls were like, oh my God, what the fuck's wrong with this kid? They're laughing, right? I'm like, oh, this one's pretty nice. I think I saw Beyonce wear this one in a video once. So I went to the change room and I was trying on women's dresses and I was strutting around the store in women's dress. I was a 14-year-old boy walking around in a woman's dress at a very busy mall. Was it funny? Was it... Well, it was funny, but was it like particularly smart or witty? No, but it was just to be a fucking idiot, a complete goof, right? It's that type of shit that you appreciate about a person who is able to have that gift. It's comparable to like a musician. Great musicians make other musicians sound great as well, you know? If you got a guitar player who's amazing and he's playing with a not-so-great guitar player, his job is to make the other guitarist sound great as well. That way, the overall piece sounds great. What's the point of playing a song with somebody if one part of the song sounds good but the other part of the song sounds like shit? So the stronger entity lifts up the weaker entity. So in a sense, that is some of the responsibility is being a goofy, being a goofer, a gopher, a joker, being a fucking clown. Like that's, that's part of it as well. We live in the drudgery of the world where people are so serious. Why so serious? You see motherfuckers, like, especially during pandemic, you walk down the street, people are stomping on by all fucking, uh, uh, uh. you talk to people, they're on edge, they're pent up, you know, levity. Levity. I could bring that out of people if I want to, but I've gone 180 where it's like, I don't even care anymore. It's like, if you're an upset, angry motherfucker, go ahead and be that. I'm not going to try to get to you. I'm not going to try to extend myself to you. The thrill is gone. (laughs) And that's what I'm trying to return to is that sense of fun where it's like, This transcends even professional comedy. Whatever you deem that. Getting paid to do stand-up. Getting paid to be a comedic actor. It transcends that. It's like, yes, of course, that's what I'm going to continue trying to do. Continue working towards building my career. But I also want to be funny in a giving sense. And that's not... 
I hope that doesn't sound facetious or disingenuous because it's not about me. You know, it's about the fact that I see in the world I have talents that I could lend. And in being funny, casually, in a casual setting, I bring out the funny in others. People are very funny. Sometimes they just need a little bit of a spur. Right? Like, um, I remember one time I was working with this lady. It was like a, just some sort of retail job. And we had a customer come in and, you know, they're stomping around the store in a rush, acting all stupid. And there was a sign that said wet floor. She stomps on past the sign that says caution wet floor. She slips, whip, hits her ass on the floor, gets up and "Eh, eh, eh, the floor is wet. Eh, eh." She's barking and bitching and belly aching. It's like, yo, like there was a sign that said wet floor. The floor was obviously wet. Anybody with any sense of rationality would have seen that. You're stomping around all irrational. That's why you didn't see it. We didn't say that, of course. We're just like, okay, yeah, whatever. She stomps out of the store. Then I had this coworker, just like a kind of a quiet, reserved, you know, young woman. You know, she was probably like early 40s. Kind of quiet, shy kind of type of woman, right? We all kind of had a little laugh about it. And then I could see that the woman, you know, I had said a couple things. I got a laugh or two, right? And people were laughing and ha ha ha. And then I could see that the lady had something she wanted to say. I could just tell, but she she didn't really, she wasn't really the type to just make a comment. But I could see that there was something kind of brewing in her. So I was like, yeah, you know, like what did, so like, I don't know, what do you think? What did you see there? Like, like I mean, isn't it true? Like the woman, she was walking around like an idiot. That's why she slipped. And the, and the coworker, she's like, well, yeah, you know, and she goes into an impression. She goes, yeah, the lady, she like stomps by and she hit her wrist and she's just like. <laughs> and she made this little face and she did this little act out and it got a laugh. You know what I'm saying? Like amongst the bunch of us, it got a laugh. It was funny for the moment. And that's the fun of humor in that sense. Being able to help people bring that out to make the world a better place. I mean, yeah, we are laughing at somebody that injured themselves, <laughs> but like, you know, could have been fatal. But the point remains like, if you can be funny and facilitate that in others, it's not so much about me at that point. It's like, I've accepted that I'm a goofball and I laugh at horrible situations. And I also laugh at just traditionally funny things, you know, like a fart or whatever, you know, a knock-knock joke. You know, I, I don't have any prejudice. I'll laugh at whatever. And I can help bring that out of others, which in turn gives them that joy to relate it back to the musician thing. I'm a person who is fairly funny and I am seeking a career in comedy, but I can also use those skills to make levity and jokes and joy around me. I brought up the humor in that lady. I kind of coaxed it out of her. Like, show me the funny. You look like you have something funny to say. Show it to me. And she said her little joke and it got a laugh. And you could see she was kind of, it was about her. 
is the point. I helped her bring out her humor. And we were laughing at her joke. And she had a little look on her face where it's like, you know, it feels good to make somebody laugh. You know, if you've ever felt that feeling, you know, it's been a minute for me. But um, it feels good to make people laugh. So I'm trying to return to that fun. The joy of just being a goof for being a goof. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramtaran, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. It's hot. That's a hot one, folks. <sighs> Tell you, Johnny... Some mornings I get drinking early, Johnny. <laughs> what are you kidding? You kidding? Quick sip of water. Yes. So, what I want to talk about on this episode is the Amazon Prime docu-series, The Last Narc. The Last Narc. That is a uh, docu-series on Amazon Prime. Let me give you a synopsis. So, The Last Narc. In 1985, DEA agent Enrique Kiki Camarina is kidnapped, tortured, and murdered by Mexican drug lords. Special Agent Hector Bereles reveals the truth about the conspiracy behind Camarina's murder that stretches from Mexico to Washington, D.C. A four-part docuseries about drug lords and conspiracy Mexican drug lords, governmental conspiracy and cover-up, CIA. This is a great docu-series. And, and, and it really kind of, um, it really spurs in me a deeper interest in what I have traditionally been interested in. Traditionally been interested in. This has spurred a deeper interest in what I have been traditionally interested in. I'm very interested in true crime. I know quite a bit about, um, you know, true crime. Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, you know, the DC sniper. Um, like, who else? Uh, Jack the Ripper, you know, the Golden State Killer. BTK, Bind, Torture, Kill, Killer. BTK, the Green River Killer. Um, the Zodiac Killer, Zodiac Killing. Son of Sam. Um, you know, the Barbie and Ken Killers, you know, um, Carla Homoka and uh, that other motherfucker. What's his name? Whatever. That parasite. The Barbie and Ken killers. You know, um, 
who else? Um, just a litany of serial killers. Ed Gein, you know, that motherfucker that used to like rob graves and make furniture and lampshades out of people's skin. Ed Gein. He murdered women and sawed their nipples off and made like nipple belts. Did all sorts of weirdness. Pretty fascinating stuff. True crime. And what spawns a murderer's rampage. So I've always had an interest in that. But now I'm going deeper into like crime on a mass level. Government conspiracy, drug cartels, corruption, multi-layered levels of, um, you know, crime. In this docuseries, The Last Narc, you know, it tackles these drug lords in Mexico. Guadalajara. Guadalajara? Am I saying that right or wrong? Guadalajara. Yes. And these DEA agents. DEA. Drug Enforcement Administration. They're deep undercover. They're doing these, these drug surveillances. And... I will simply say this, check it out, The Last Narc, it's on Amazon Prime, four-part docuseries, there's interviews with, you know, ex-drug enforcement bodyguards to these um, Mexican drug lords, Um, there's interviews with like DEA agents from the United States, And they tell this story, this kidnapping and murder of Enrique Kiki Camarena. And it was like a conspiracy that would have led to one of the biggest kind of drug conspiracies in U.S. history, apparently. Mexican drug lords, CIA, deep state cover-ups and it's a very well done eye-opening um docuseries and what i what i find interesting about it is the idea of the simple complexity of life that all sounds very large it all sounds like very complicated, complex subject matter. Drug kingdoms, drug lords, law enforcement, governmental conspiracy, drug trafficking, nation against nation, Mexico, United States, drug laws, civilians, culture, And this interlocking web and how it's all connected. But really what it's really about, from my point of view. Drugs and money equals power and control. Isn't it just as simple as that? 
you see these people and they're, they're telling this story and they're explaining it and they're bearing witness and it's very high stakes. Murder, imprisonment, torture, drugs, a deteriorating society. These are high stakes that they're talking about in people's lives. Gun battles, high stakes stuff that they're talking about. But at the end of the day, it's all so silly. We're talking about drugs, which is a desperate attempt at controlling oneself. Usually there's some sort of trauma, some sort of turning away from one's own spirit, one's own humanity. There's usually something that you are blind to when you get hooked on a substance, generally speaking. It's no more deeper than that. People don't do drugs because drugs are great. People do drugs because they feel terrible. What the fuck's so great about being whacked out of your fucking mind? Gacked up, strung out, awake for days. Fucking everything that walks. You know? What's so great about that? It's not that drugs are so great. It's just that people feel so awful inside. Spiritually turned away. They seek refuge in substances. So they're trying to control their own mind and their own reality through drugs. Then you got these drug lords trying to control the masses with drugs, selling them a lie, selling them a solution. Take drugs. That's the answer. Don't take any personal accountability. Don't better your life. Don't get up and do something. Don't honor your body. Honor your body as a temple. Don't build yourself to the best peak performance you can physically with what God gave you. No, destroy it. Take drugs. There's more meaning and enjoyment and entertainment in an acid trip than a trip to the library. Do drugs. Snort cocaine. Mega me. What do you know about cocaine? Mega me. Hoop it up your nostrils. Hoop it up your ass. Drugs control. Money controls. Buy yourself out of a problem. Buy away your worries. Spend away your worries. Don't look within. The answer is on the uh, sales floor. Ring it up. Ka-ching! As Betty and uh, Wilma would say, Charge it! <clears throat> Remember all the Flintstones? Charge it! Charge it! They always scream charge it when they spend uh, Barney and Fred's money. <laughs> charge it! Spend away your worries, folks. You can buy your way into heaven. That's all that matters. Monetary and material things. You see what I'm saying? Drugs and money equals power and control. Drugs and money, power and control. That's all it's about. Then you hear these people talking about these interlacing webs of, you know, drug lords and governmental conspiracy and da 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 which is all very fascinating, but also very sad and petty. It's just about power and control. Like, if you ever approached me and was like, hey, Jonathan, do you want to sell drugs? You can make a lot of money. I'd be like, 
uh, no, I might lose my soul in the process. I mean, I've fucked up enough in life that I don't... I know the answer is not in shallow things like drugs and the selling of. No, thank you. But yet you got like a nation, two nations, warring. Secretly funded wars paid with drug revenue. Complicit governments, corruption. It's all very fascinating interweaving, but also very just basic and petty and deflating. People just motivated by pure evil. You know, you can. It's 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 a it's a it's a big web of connectivity and what one action does to lead to the other and what the ramifications are and da 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 and governmental agencies getting involved and da da da. But it's all just about power and control. If people just focused on themselves, doing the good thing, the right thing, then. All that pain would be alleviated. But no, the human heart is so evil and thirsty, bloodthirsty, and turned away and egomaniacal. And economy, that also has something to do with it, you know. Mexico, from what I know, having never been there or lived there, there's a lot of poverty and a lot of lack of opportunity, and people see, it's not even that people see, it's just like the power of these cartels are so influential and all-encompassing, and they rule with this iron fist that you're pretty much under the control of these drug kingpins. People are pretty much held hostage to this evil empire. Very interesting docuseries. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. The Last Narc on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Four-part docuseries. Each episode's about 40 minutes. You could bang it off in an evening if you wanted to. You know? It's a very interesting docuseries. The Last Narc. Yes, folks. And before I get out of here, folks, um, now you might be wondering, why am I wearing this earmuff on my head? Why am I wearing these earmuffs? Well, you may or may not have heard this. Um, The microphone is pretty sensitive. It doesn't pick up everything. But um, I got this neighbor. She's out of her fucking, fucking mind. She's like off her meds or off, she's drunk or high. Lately, she's just been playing this music nonstop at like loud volume. And it's such an interesting situation because it's like she's like a middle-aged woman. Like she's like early, mid Late 50s. She's in her 50s. She's like a middle-aged woman. And I think this is interesting to speak on because during pandemic, a lot of people are struggling. 
And, um, you know, a narrative that's always in the news is mental health. Here's my take on it. There are mental disorders. There are mental um, deficiencies, mental disorders, injuries, you know. Somebody might become brain damaged by an accident, you know, like a, a blow to the head, a car accident. Some people are born with disabilities, fetal alcohol syndrome, Down syndrome, very tragic. Then there are things in the realm of mental health, depression, bipolar, anxiety, things of that nature, you know, things that are like diagnosable versus an injury or a birth defect, sadly, things of that nature that are, you know, diagnosable versus being an injury or a birth defect, these diagnosable disorders, bipolar, anxiety, depression, da 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 that is really people being unaccountable for their life. And it's sad. It's sad. Because usually what it is, is someone is experiencing a trauma, rightfully or wrongfully so. Something happened to them along the way in life. You know, maybe something happened to them as a child. Maybe something happened to them as an adult. Maybe they were abused as a child. Maybe they went through a string of bad luck as an adult. Divorce. Financial um, problems. All these things that lead to a deteriorating outlook. And then they call it depression. Bipolar. Anxiety. It's sad. It's like they experience this trauma and then they continue paying for it their entire life. This next door neighbor of mine, she blares her music from like morning till night. And it's such a cry for attention. And it's such an example of a stressed out mind. It's nonsensical. From morning till night, you listen to your music at top volume. I love music. I'm a hobby musician. I play bass guitar. I dabble with a little bit of guitar. You know, I get to pluck in them strings. I love music. I listen to music. But it's beyond the point to listen to music at a overwhelming level. It's beyond the point. I mean, if you go to a nightclub, that's atmosphere, that's environment, the music's loud, you're dancing, that's the entertainment of a live music, a venue experience. When you're in the comfort of your own home, you only listen to music as loud enough as necessary. It goes beyond to have the walls shaking to disrupt your neighbors. What you're really doing is you're blocking out whatever mental unease that you're dealing with. You just want to block it all out, turn the volume up, you know, crank it to 11. It's very childish 
And it's very, um, it's sad. It's a person dealing with trauma, paying for their past trauma, and just living a life of like unpleasantness. She plays her music loudly 24-7 like a mental patient. She bangs on the wall nonsensically. She's always banging on the wall nonsensically. This is a person who is not at peace. And I feel for her as far as, oh, okay, she's experiencing some sort of trauma. But the problem is herself. She's blind to herself. You know? One thing I take pride in is I've worked on myself enough where it's like, I'm not for everybody. But then again, I'm not stepping on other people's toes. I'm to myself and I'm respectful of others. When you are disrespectful of others is when you impose upon people and encroach upon people and make a nuisance of yourself. And that's what she's doing. She's making a nuisance of herself, blaring her music loudly day upon day. During a time in which, you know, people are at home more, moving into post-pandemic, you know, we're all at home more. I mean, you can only walk through your neighborhood so many times before you're just bored senseless, you know? And she's doing this, like, cry for help, which is so, like, blind to herself. It's like she's saying, maybe I'm reading too far into this, but, like, when you blare your music loudly, what you're basically doing is say, pay attention to me. Consider me. Consider me. Pay attention to me. And it's so ironic because it's like you're saying, consider me. Consider me while I behave inconsiderate of others. Consider me as I act inconsiderately of you. And it's nonsensical. It's probably drugged out or drunken or just egotistical nonsense. I can hear it right now. I mean, these these earmuffs are pretty good, but they only cancel out so much. So it's very interesting because, you know, what I've come to learn about ego I've been on this journey of self-realization for a while. That's very much what JR the P is about. That's a very big component of the podcast. And one thing I've come to learn is that how I see things at the moment, the hardest part about overcoming one's ego, it's not so much accepting your nothingness and the humility of it I'm just one of many people in the world ain't nothing particularly special about me that warrants special treatment special recognition you know my goal is to be living as one with God the creator, to live a life of the golden rule, Christ's love, 
do unto others as you will have done unto you. That's my goal. And the hardest part of that humility, it's not so much accepting that. It's, yes, I accept the humility of my existence. Who am I? Who am I to act out or judge others or be envious or to complain or to want or to criticize? Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm one among many. My goal is to return to God, to live in a Christ-love manner. Do unto others as you will have done unto you. That's my goal. I accept that. But the problem becomes in putting aside my ego, I have to make room for others' ego. All I'm ever confronted confronted with is other people's ego. That's all you're juggling. That's all that I seem to juggle. Other people's ego. I'm not playing my music crazily. I'm considerate of others. You know, I mind my own business. I don't impose upon people. You know, I think I treat people fairly the way I want to be treated. But it seems like every time I turn around, my patience is tested by people wanting to impose on me. Whether it be a crazy neighbor who plays their music loudly, repeatedly, or if it's somebody who wants to walk up on you and tell you something at work, or somebody who wants to blah, blah, blah at you at the grocery store. It's always somebody coming at you with their crazy ego. So that's the challenge I've found about ego. It's not so much accepting your own inconsequential nature. It's not so much about accepting that. It's about in accepting that, you have to almost accept others' impositions and not let it move you to anger. You know, I don't, you know, as I say, I strive for that Christ love. Love thy neighbor as you love thyself. You know, I could act out angrily. I could bang on the wall, make a big deal about it. Bang, 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 bang. Shut up, turn your music down. Bang, bang, bang. I could do that. Or I could like, you know, go to the landlord, make it a big deal, report her to the landlord. I could call the cops. Noise disturbance. There's all these things I could do out of anger, but I don't. I just let it be. I see that this is a person blind to themselves. It's nonsensical behavior. And it's not for me to point out others' nonsensical behavior. I just have to deal with it and move forward in the way I can. So I got my little earmuffs. I went with the lime green ones because, you know, that's more versatile. Let's say if I'm ever doing some work outside where I might need earmuffs. It's a nice kind of safety precaution, you know, makes you more visible to traffic. So, you know, 
case I'm ever wandering the streets homeless after I run away from my apartment due to this crazy neighbor of mine. You know, I, I got some kind of reflective, visible, you know, apparel. And it's also a caution, folks. It's a caution. People aren't like wine. You don't age like wine, folks. People whine like wine. You know, you want some wine to go with that cheese? Want some cheese to go with that wine, you fucking crybaby? People whine like a motherfucker. That's for sure. That's for certain. So yeah, people do whine. But we're not like wine. You don't get better with age. And that's why we have to be very... We don't have to do anything. But it's beneficial for a person to... um, Consider that. Consider their own growth. Because as I reflect on it, you know, people always say, you know, the children are the future, and the future is with our youth. That is so true. Because when I reflect on all this ego nonsense and all this confrontation that I've been confronted with in regards to letting go of my ego and being patient dealing with other people and their ego, 99% of the time, when you're coming up against a crazy ego, 99% of the time, it's an older person, somebody 40 plus, 40 plus. It's always that, I've noticed. The majority of the time, somebody old enough to know better, It's like you're in your 50s and you play your music like a disgruntled teenager. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself to be like a woman in your like 50s blaring your music every day, nonsensically disrupting your neighbors. You should be ashamed of that. But she's obviously blind, blind to herself. You know? And you don't get better with age, folks. And that's why these things are very important to consider. Most people get bitter. Most people, you know, they go through a a string of traumas, failures, problems in their life. And instead of overcoming and finding some meaning and gaining some self-realization on it, they become bitter. They lash out at others. They act very childish. And in turn, they turn out to be like, you know, like a 70-year-old baby, a 70-year-old child full of emotional scars and wounds and nonsense much like I'm exhibiting and dealing with with my neighbor here. You know, she's out of her fucking mind. She's bonkers, right? But I do have a duty to love my neighbor as I love myself, not let it get to me, and um, keep my eyes on myself and dig deep to find that humility because that has been the challenge of all this ego introspection that I've been dealing with and learning as of late. I have no grievance or no bitterness with my with my life and my experiences and the cards that I've been dealt. I'm at peace with that. I work with it and I take a personal accountability. When I get a little bit kerfuffled and a bit razzed, a little hot under the collar, ruffled of feathers, you know, when I get a little bit you know, peeved, it's generally because I'm often called upon to show patience to others. 
It's like, yeah, I have to show people love, tolerance, and patience when they're really not deserving of it. The way of the world would be, yeah, knock on the wall, bang on the wall. Hey, shut up, turn your music off. That's the way of the world. I should be pounding on the wall. I should be going and reporting her to the landlord. I should be calling the cops. That's the way of the world. That's the way of anger. But hey, you know, I'm trying to love my neighbor as I love myself. <laughs> so, and I'm not laying down as a victim, you know. I'm taking steps to make my life better. As I said, personal accountability. Um, sometimes to win the battle is to avoid the battle altogether. As Sun Tzu would say, in the art of war. And there is an art in war. Yes, folks. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent March 13th in the year of our Lord, 2021. Yeah. Ego battle. It's a doozy. Mexican drug cartels. The last narc on Amazon Prime. Definitely check it out, folks. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. All right. Peace.